This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome to it, everybody. It is your Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. As always, it's Ian Mendes here sitting in one of the co-host chairs. And it's Mark Lazarus doing a little pinch hitting for Julian McKenzie here. I think, did we give you a pinch hitter name? Like, did, what was the pinch hitter name we gave you last time? I, I think oh. I chose Lee Mazzilli because I wanted to wear the tight pants. Lee Mazzilli. That's right. There we go. Yeah. Mark Lazarus stepping in as Lee Mazzilli and anybody under the age of 38, 40 is like, who the hell? It's almost too old a reference for me, frankly. I was like three years old when Lee Mazzilli was a deal. (laughs) Exactly. So the two of us are with you for this Monday edition of the pod. We're excited to have a little bit later Eric Lowe, who works with uh, ESPN in programming and acquisitions. And for anybody watching us live here on YouTube, if you have any questions related to broadcasting in the United States, ESPN, the cable package, all that stuff, fire it in. Uh, to us, we can try to get that over to, to to Eric. We're looking forward to having that conversation. But I think, you know, Laz, we we probably should start with the most. What's the word here? New, I guess, newsworthy story of the weekend. And and full credit goes to the Globe and Mail, a newspaper up here in Canada. They were the first to report uh, about the five players from Team Canada's 2018 World Junior Hockey Team that would be charged in London, Ontario. Uh, Alex Formanton's lawyer sent me an email, Laz, on. Sunday, uh, and I'll just read it out verbatim, says, quote, the London police have charged several players, including Alex Formanton, in connection with an accusation made in 2018. Alex will vigorously defend his innocence, ask ask that people not rush uh, rush to judgment without hearing all of the evidence. That is from Alex's lawyer, Daniel Brown, sent that uh, via email. So what I want to get into, though, is the column you wrote last week, because when you wrote the column last week, Laz, we didn't quite know exactly who the names were. We know at least one of them now is Alex Formanton. His lawyer has, has, a, has said he's been charged. And I want to go back to the crux of your column because I actually think not all columns, Laz, trans, translate well into podcast form, but yours does because it was it was opinionated. It came from a thoughtful place. And I'm wondering for the people that didn't have a chance to read it, what was what was your message that you were trying to convey as it pertains to Hockey Canada? I, you know, the the fact that we're getting names put to this, I think, changes the way it's perceived, right? It's been very easy for hockey fans to kind of pretend this is something that's going on in the background, that it's not a current story, that it's not something they need to think about. But now it's going to be, I mean, we kind of know the names, but we don't officially know the names, right? Obviously, Formington's the first to, that, to become official. But when suddenly it's someone whose jersey you own, when suddenly it's someone who you've cheered, when it's, it's someone you know and watched on TV it becomes a little more real, right? A little more tangible. It's not this esoteric, you know, you know, thing off in the distance in the back of your mind. It's much more front and center now. And that's going to really, I hope, I hope, and I, you know, I was openly wondering in the column because I don't have a lot of faith in this sport sometimes, but I'm hoping that that reality will kind of force and, and compel some of the changes that we've, that you and I and a lot of people have been talking about for a long time about fixing this broken hockey culture where we raise these boys into young men who who feel they're above the law they're they're treated like gods in the time they're 11 years old they're they're put in these insular locker rooms and they never have the, they never meet anybody outside their own team the same coaches the same teammates for years and years and years they don't go to a regular high school they don't go to college and and at 18 19 years old they think they're just untouchable and privileged and they do horrible things to each other to other people to women and i'm hoping that Maybe the reality of this, when it's names you know, when it's NHL players, and the math says there has to be NHL players here, right? Five players charged, only two players on that entire World Junior Team Canada did not make it to the NHL. So these are names people know. And I'm hoping that that reality will kind of be the wake-up call that this sport needs to really make some changes in the way that it goes about particularly raising young hockey players. You know what I, th- and, I, and it's so well put, right? Because there is an institutional uh, issue at play here. And it's Hockey Canada, obviously the governing body for hockey in, in, in the country that I live in, that there's a culture of silence. And I think it was the perfect kind of storm of uh, power and 
silence and, you know, all, all of these things came together. And I'm hoping, like you said, that we can detonate some of those. Um, Dan Robeson put it perfectly in his in yeah. his column the other day about how it's just time and time and time again, everyone in power from Hockey Canada to the government to the police, none of them stood up and did the right thing. No. And this is what we saw with the Blackhawks, with Kyle Beach. Nobody had the fortitude, the moral authority to stand up and do the right thing. We've seen this in hazing incidents in the past. We've seen this in other assaults in the past. It's just this, like you said, the culture of silence is a really good way to put it. Yeah. That we protect the team and not the people the team is hurting. And, you know, it's important that Monday, February 5th, so exactly one week from today, seven days from now, the police department in London, Ontario will host a press conference. And last, I mean, you've, you've covered, you're, you're like me, you've covered sports and you've been around you're, you're kind of a bit of a news junkie like like i am have you ever seen an entity and in this case a police department announce a press uh, conference basically 14 days in advance like i i don't ever like for something newsworthy i don't think i've ever seen this so and i think it speaks to the magnitude the public interest all of these elements that are going to come to the forefront on Monday. I don't think I've ever seen that. It's really, usually it's like, we're calling a press conference in an hour or tomorrow morning, two weeks yeah. in advance. It's crazy. And I don't know if that's because they want to give the, 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 the those being charged time to surrender uh, time to whatever it is, but it, it's a very unusual way of doing business here. And all it does is just amp up the speculation more, right? You got two weeks of speculation. Everyone's trying to figure out who it is. You go into the comment section of my column, Dan's column, and everyone's naming names because it's just, that's the world we live in on the internet is there is no patience for these kinds of things. So it almost, it, it feels like one more misstep, doesn't it? Like, let's just add fuel to the fire for two more weeks for no reason at all, right? Yeah. And, and you know, I think it's interesting. Like, so I wrote a piece on Formington that ran Sunday afternoon, and the comments section was disabled. Mm -hmm. And that was a, dis like, that was a direct, and, I, and I'm okay to have these conversations. I think transparency is the key. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'll be honest with you. I went into your comment section and Dan Robson's. Uh, yeah, the comments were open on Dan's too. And I just thought, Wow. Uh, like, what are we doing here? Like, as you know, Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, that's essentially one big comment section, right? That's yeah. all that is. And like, I don't know where, like, I don't know where I stand on comment sections because I don't want people to think that I'm like, you know, I'm suppressing your right to express your opinion. It's not that. I just don't know what we're adding sometimes on comment sections on these types of stories. Now you want to talk about uh, you know, Chicago and why, like, just from a hockey perspective, Connor Bedard in the Calder Trophy, you want to have the comments open for that so Minnesota fans can jump in and say, no, no, Brock Faber is the guy. That's okay. It still turns into a, a cesspool of comments about other topics, too, anyway, when you do that. Yeah, but, but I think in these cases, I don't know where you stand on this. I'm okay with the comments being turned off. I really am. My, the comment section in almost everything I write is such a waste of space now at this point because of all the various things that we touch on. I think you experience this to some degree too. Uh, but I, I guess if I put my editor hat on right now, if I go back to a previous life and I, and if, if a topic, like my, my, my column was a column, it was an opinion piece, right? And if I'm allowed to talk on it, then so should our readers. Whereas yours, that particular one was a news straight piece. news. Yeah. So if you're writing a news piece, it doesn't require the, 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 uh, comments. We don't need to comment on the facts, but you can comment on my opinion. You can comment on Dan's opinion. I think that's probably the way we're looking at it. I yeah. nobody, I haven't talked to anybody in the company about it, but I feel like that's probably the logic behind it. And there's some, that makes sense to me. You know, if, if you're writing an opinion piece, not just here is, because you don't want to have people commenting on facts and trying to spin them their own way. You wrote a fact. Yep. And, you know, I wrote an opinion and you've written plenty of opinion columns and you've seen what the comment section becomes. But yeah. I think that's the idea. It's if we can talk about it, then they should be able to talk about it too. Yeah. And that's absolutely fair. And, you know, so I'm working with Chris Johnston on something for this. Like we want to look at, you know, instances where what happens when NHL players have been charged criminally? Like what, what is history say? And you know what, Laz, when we were digging up the story, you know what I completely forgot about was Semyon Varlamov. Right. With yeah. the avalanche was charged with kidnapping. And I think it was third degree um, domestic assault or domestic violence. Yeah. And the NHL allowed him to travel and play with the Avalanche for two months while the charges were like he had been charged. Charges eventually got dropped, but it, I think it just shows you uh, that was eleven years ago. I, I 
I don't know what the NHL's reaction is going to be to this. I would just say I would be very surprised if any current NHL players, if they are charged criminally by the London police on Monday, I don't see a path to them playing in the NHL this season. I see a suspension. That's that, but again, that's my opinion. That's a that's an educated guess, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we we like to think that we move forward and that we get better at this. Uh, Patrick Kane played during his whole, uh, while his whole, you know, uh, sexual assault, uh, you know, uh, investigation was going on, right? But that was a civil trial, was it right. not? Right, it that was, was civil the, and not. The, the Blackhawks took a lot of criticism for that, for allowing him to play during that and trotting him out during training camp to big ovations and stuff. The optics were very bad on that. And it's something that the, that every te- you know the league has to weigh now. You know, as we move toward a society who, you know, thankfully is starting to believe women more, um, you need to let the the justice system take its course. And sometimes that means sitting someone. And I know there's there's innocence until proven guilty, of course, but there has to be some you know rationale behind uh, uh, whether you let a guy play through that or not. Uh, well, like I said, throughout the course of this week and into next week, we will certainly have a lot. Uh, to to handle with with Hockey Canada, and we will be on top of it uh, with the Athletic. As I mentioned, Eric Lowe, Senior uh, Manager of Programming and Acquisitions on the NHL on ESPN, is set to join the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. So I think we got him. There we go. We got him. Eric, welcome Ian, to the show. Ian, Mark, good to see you. How are you today? Hey, we are, uh, we are great. Thanks for taking the time because, you know, I was just saying, like, Laz and I are both kind of, you know, we're news junkies, we're hockey junkies. Uh, I grew up, like, I, like I love that old NHL on ESPN theme song from back that, in the day. That was my ringtone on my phone for, like, 15 years. Was yeah. it really? Oh, love it. So, we're we're super happy to have you on because, you know, we want to pick your brain on some, you know, broadcasting topics. And I'm going to start with this one because, and, and this is going to be my Canadian bias coming through. But I, I'm curious, Eric. If you look at the NHL right now, and if you ask people who are, you know, two or three of the biggest stars in the game, I think the answer would be Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews. I think they're certainly in the top five, those two guys. Hands down. Yeah. So how do you guys as an American network balance? We got to showcase the biggest stars in the game, but uh uh-oh, they play for Edmonton and Toronto. (laughs) How do you, how do you guys navigate that as, as an American broadcaster? Well, it's certainly it's certainly a balance, right? Um, not having the home markets here in the uh, U.S. certainly plays a factor in terms of viewership, but that doesn't mean we ignore them altogether. They are electric players. They're the faces of the league. Uh, they'll certainly be on display this weekend in Toronto. And um, from our perspective, the way we treat the, the Oilers and the Leafs in particular is uh, we always try to uh, identify their dates when they travel here domestically. Uh, earlier this year, when the Oilers made their uh, trip through the tri-state area, they took on the Devils, the Islanders, and the Rangers three games in four nights. Uh, and seemingly, they haven't lost since they came back against the Devils in Newark. Um, you know, we try to identify those opportunities to showcase the high-quality talent that these guys are, especially with Connor and Austin. Um, with the Maple Leafs, we picked them for a game when they took on the Capitals in uh, October when we did the uh, first ever frozen frenzy and the Maple Leafs at the Capitals uh, in the six o'clock window for us was the most viewed uh, NHL game involving a Canadian team on cable since 2017. So the the name and brain uh, name and brand recognition of both McDavid and the Oilers and Matthews and the Maple Leafs, I think is translating for US TV audiences. We just need to be strategic as to how we pick those games and where we slot them on the schedule. Why, why wouldn't you be able to put a Maple Leafs Oilers game on American TV? If those are the two and Austin Matthews being an American star and all that, like what is it just, there needs to be a floor with a certain audience. Like if you have the Sabres, if you have the, the Bruins, if you have the Rangers, if you have the Blackhawks, there's a certain floor to the ratings. Is that one of the factors? Do you think you would, would it, I mean, would it be a disaster if you put two Canadian teams on there? (laughs) No, it wouldn't be a disaster. It'd be great hockey. I think the um, the thing we're always balancing here at ESPN is we have a, a wide variety and a huge portfolio of, of content rights here. Uh, we're the worldwide leader in sports for a reason. We cover seemingly every sport there is. And finding the availability to get a game on TV that syncs up with the NHL calendar 
uh, can be a challenge at times. Um, you know, for us, we're always trying to figure out those opportunities. And on ESPN Plus, for us here in the States, we have a product called NHL Power Play on ESPN Plus, so that if you're an American fan that wants to watch the Oilers against the Leafs, it's a blackout free national telecast on ESPN Plus um, at the tip of your fingertips. So, um, would we love to get them on TV? Sure. But do we have options for fans to be able to see it if they really wanted to see that matchup? ESPN Plus is that destination for fans here in the United States. In, in that same vein, how do you how do you you know balance the need for having known commodity teams like you know your predecessor NBC Sports leaned very heavily on Chicago during those glory years and the Rangers and the Bruins and the Caps, sure. Ovechkin, Crosby, all that, and the need to develop fan interest in like Florida and Dallas, two of the best teams in the league that probably are not terribly attractive to a TV, a national TV audience. Well, I think it's twofold, right? The the Panthers last year went on a absolutely magical run and they captured audiences here, especially game seven against the Bruins in the first round. Uh, I think it topped over three and a half million viewers for our friends over at TNT with game seven on that Sunday, uh, Sunday night, um, you know, and developing uh, those brands, I think, you know, the Panthers for us are a team we're obviously keeping an eye on. We have them in prime time against the Rangers in March on ABC for a, a eight o'clock game that we're certainly excited about. Uh, Matthew Kachuk has uh, certainly turned himself into a star, um, a good American born hockey player there and uh, developing those names and turning them into household names and uh achieving the brand recognition between them and their franchises as part of the promotion process for us. So we're obviously always keeping an eye on those new and up and coming stars. Connor Bedard for us uh, with the Blackhawks certainly helped uh, elevate opening week for us where we had the the Blackhawks and the Penguins on opening night in the eight o'clock window. That was the most watched indoor regular season hockey game on record. So for us, it was perfect, right? Uh, you have him going to an original six market. But yes, to your point, getting those brand names to elevate the call middle tier of, of franchises for U.S. hockey audiences. That's obviously part of our uh, promotional process here as we work through the second half of the regular season. You know, Eric, something I've always wanted to ask a network uh, executive when it comes to hockey is I've watched how Major League Baseball has really embraced the wildcard play in. And it's sort of, it feels like it's made for TV. Sure. And I'm wondering, what's the appetite or is there, has there ever been a push from uh, ESPN or as you call them, your friends over at TNT uh, to maybe push the NHL towards, guys, it would be amazing theater, play-in games, made for TV, game 83. Is that something that would be palatable for, for ESPN? Um, well, look, any sort of scheduling related conversations about adding games to the schedule is obviously a league and an NHL players association conversation. Um, you know, from, from our perspective, I think the regular season um, uh, in the national hockey league is, is great. The uh, 82 games, every point matters is, is a big part of the drama coming down the stretch last year. We all remember Pittsburgh had to beat Columbus and Chicago to get into the postseason, and they failed to do so. And as a result, you had one of the most magical wild rides ever in Stanley Cup playoff history with the Panthers upsetting the Bruins in the first round and going all the way to the cup final. Um, I think what we did look at in the offseason heading into this, this current year was implementing this frozen frenzy concept where you had 16 games scheduled on a night where every team was in action and you stagger the start times to create a mini hockey holiday for fans, uh, not only here in the U.S., but in Canada. And I think it was met with tremendous fanfare. And it's something that we're looking to continue to uh, work towards, maybe doing it multiple times next year to try to innovate the scheduling of the NHL regular season without having to go down, adding more games to the schedule. We all know it's a grind for a lot of the players, 82 games at it goes over the course of six to seven months. I think the frozen frenzy is something that we can maybe continue to innovate and build upon to create those mini tent poles that drives casual fan interest throughout the regular season. 
And I'll also add, I think the in-season tournament on the NBA, which is kind of what everyone's uh, comparing it to, I think it solved a problem for the NBA, which was guys were uh, kind of uh, taking nights off or rest issues. And as you guys know, in the NHL, it's, it's a badge of honor to play every game. And they really try to make sure they're in the lineup for every game, regardless if it's game seven or game 82. And I, I think the in-season tournament on the NBA solved an issue there that I don't think there's an issue in the NHL. You mentioned staggered start times. That is a real sticking point for you know the sickos out there that like watching every <laughs> hockey and not just their own team. The ESPN Plus surfers that every game starts at the same time, so yeah. they all go to intermission at the same time. Yeah. How much influence does ESPN and I guess TNT have in maybe massaging that a little bit, because I know that that's decided by the individual teams. The Blackhawks one year went to seven o'clock starts. Yeah. I loved it. The the fans who live in the suburbs complained about it, and they, the one hundred level was half empty every game, <laughs> so they went back to seven thirty starts, which I hated. But yeah. how much influence do you have on that? Can you like nudge the NHL in that direction or not? Well, we made a, a strategic uh, uh, for a strategic approach and decision on our NHL uh, on ESPN Plus exclusive games this year where, uh, as you guys know, there's typically a gluttony of 7 o'clock Eastern time zone games that all begin at the same time, and the first and second intermissions all hit at the same time, and you're kind of sitting there wondering, oh, is there another game on? And there isn't. So for us, when we're doing an Eastern time zone game exclusively on ESPN+, Plus, we specifically put that game time at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time to allow for the fan who is a subscriber to ESPN+, Plus to be able to bounce around from game to game so that there's nonstop hockey action and early returns for us are showing that people are staying within the ESPN plus ecosystem longer and watching hockey longer than they were last year as a result of that decision. So for us, we think there's a way to work with the game times to allow for more continuous hockey action to happen. Um, We also work with TNT uh, and our friends north of the border at Rogers when it comes to the first round of the Stanley Cup playoff schedule where you have upwards of four games per night. If we have a doubleheader or TNT has a doubleheader, we try to stagger it so that it's game times at 7 and 9.30 Eastern time, and then the other network will have them at 7.30 and 10, which allows for that ability to, to go from game to game and keep up with all the live action. As you guys know, the hockey in April is so much different than the hockey in October. On the on the on, on the other hand, I will speak for the entire Central Time Zone. We hate hate those eight fifty p.m. local time starts. Hate them more than anything in the world. Just so you know, I I recognize it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, he's got it. Don't worry, he's got it. In it's his, good for uh, everybody else kitchen. in the country, but we hate them. Oh man! <laughs> uh, actually, Eric, we got a couple of questions from our, our viewers here who are kind of watching. Uh, sure. along with us here. Uh, this one comes in from uh, a username, Apresh. And the question is, can we get rid of the live sports audio that plays on repeat during commercial breaks <laughs> on ESPN Plus? Now, being in Canada, I, I'm not privy to this, but Laz it's is laughing. seared into my brain. He knows what it is. So here we go. It seems like the promotion's working. Um, no, I, I think, uh, look, I, to be honest, there's... Uh, there are some heavier users of ESPN Plus than most. And as a result, there are some times where the commercial inventory like can max out. And as a result, you end up with uh, that, that audio and that slate that comes through from time to time. So I appreciate the fans watching very much. Uh, and we'll certainly look into trying to make sure that it doesn't happen as often in the future. For the record, I watch a lot of MLB.tv and it's the same thing. Like, like they don't show the local commercials. So you just get these kind of like either the same two ads on loop or like the same promotion on loop. And it just becomes white noise after a while. We'll, we'll, we'll survive that. It's yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. We got another question here from Michael, who's got a broadcasting question. He says, uh, with the Bally Diamond sports situation and all the games being available on ESPN, Plus, do you see this potentially, Eric, leading to the end of blackout restrictions? Um, I think it's too soon to say the the media landscape continues to evolve seemingly on a almost like a daily basis with with regards to these uh, RSN situations. And I think it remains to be seen. I think um, there's certain RSNs that are obviously thriving. There are other RSNs that are kind of uh, going through the process here. And uh, I don't know if I can say definitively if they're going to go away or not. OK, we got one. Oh, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, I just was going to sneak in one more question from a, a viewer last sure, time. No, I, I got one too. That's all. Oh, <laughs> well, let ahead, me ask this one on behalf of Riley. 
<laughs> who says, I love outdoor hockey, Eric. Uh, but the NHL has seemed to drop the ball with the Winter Heritage Classic outdoor series. How can the NHL get U.S. interest in big events like that? Well, I think, um, to be honest, I, I'm really looking forward to our second half of the season where we actually have two outdoor games this year happening within 20 hours of each other where the stadium series is at MetLife Stadium, where you have uh, Flyers, Devils, and then Rangers, Islanders on consecutive days. You know, fingers crossed we got a good weather weekend in New York and New Jersey so that we don't have to worry about weather delays or anything like that. But I, I honestly think that the more outdoor games that take place, it only helps fuel the fire for additional outdoor games in the future. Um, and I, I would think that over time, as the um, – and I, th I believe you guys saw it this year, at least here in the U.S., TNT picked up the Heritage Classic and, and distributed it here uh, in the States on, on, I think it was late October on a Sunday night here in the States, which I don't think has happened previously. So I do think there's interest. We know that the outdoor game, outdoor regular season games um, out deliver the norm in terms of what a regular game would do. So uh, from my perspective, <laughs> The more big viewership events we can get on TV, the better off we are as an industry. Eric, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, doesn't sports betting fall under your purview a little bit as well? A little bit, yeah. How do you how do you bet? Like 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 I am I love gambling. I'm a big table guy. I don't bet on sports. I haven't since I was younger. Sure. Um, how do you balance the the need to get all this out there? And it's a big part of the business. Now we partner at the Athletic with uh, you know with uh, I think it's uh, at MGM. MGM. Yeah, make sure I get that right, MGM. <laughs> and uh, you guys have your own thing going on now. Like, sure. how do you balance the need to promote all that and to put all the odds in and not turn people off? Because a lot of people are just like, I don't care. I don't know what this means. There's a lot of people that don't understand what a puck line is. Sure. And they feel like they're being bombarded with it at all times. How do you walk that fine line? Um, I think, to your point, it is a very fine line. You don't want to alienate the viewer that just wants to watch the game itself. But uh, because of the way it's evolving here in the States with over half the country now having legalized sports betting, um, I do think there is a, an inherent uh, educational process that needs to take place so that people do get more familiar with it. Um, you know, over in Europe, it's old hat. It's, right. They have it on during all their soccer matches and it's on during golf and it's it's a, just a part of the culture. And we're still in its infancy here in the United States. And I think you know, uh, early on in the process, it's all about awareness play for brands of DraftKings, ESPN, Bet, FanDuel, et cetera. And I think over time, it will start to normalize a little bit and people will start to understand it a little bit more, I think. But to your point, uh, Mark, it's, it, it is, um, there is a fine line. The last thing you want to do is turn people off from the beauty of live sports, which is destination viewing for a lot of people. Uh, so you want to do is turn people off because you're not actually talking about the actual who wins and loses. You're talking about what the guys in the desert are saying who wins and loses. And that's sometimes a vastly different equation. That, that's the Al Michaels sneak. You know, that's what we yeah. call that. You know, the Al yeah. Michaels, the, the, uh, the late <laughs> a, touchdown. A lot of people were real happy about that last yeah. Yeah. That's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, hey, one more question from a, a, a live viewer here, Eric. Uh, and uh, Sarah wants to know, who do you think could be some of the most marketable players in the United States? You know, you had mentioned Matt Kachuk earlier. Sure. Like, who are some of the players in the NHL right now you feel like, you know what, with ESPN, we can market this guy or these guys to our audience to help grow the game? Jason Robertson. Jason Robertson. Sorry. Well, Jason <laughs> Robertson was going to be on my short list, I think. <laughs> Um, Jack Hughes is another one who, and obviously his brother, Luke and his other brother, Quinn, like they're, they're everywhere, right? The brothers seem to be taking over the NHL. Um, but I, I do think, um, Jack in particular, New Jersey, uh, he's a special player. Uh, he's definitely going to be part of that franchise for years to come. And I, I, I just can't help but think that he won't be, uh, you know, once we get to 2026 and we'll see if the winter Olympics were to. Uh, come to be with the NHL participating. I, there's no doubt that those two guys, including, and then Jason Robertson on top of it, those three should be front and center as part of team USA moving forward. I know it's kind of hockey tradition. Always look at what international rosters would look like. Should it come to be? And, you know, it just, it, it feels like we're on the, at least here in the U S we're on the precipice of like the golden age for, for us born hockey players to, to get 
on the ice together, suit up together, potentially go win a gold medal together. Yeah, no, it, it's going to be fun. And that right now, I think if you did best on best, boy, it's hard not to say the Americans wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't we be got the, the goaltending. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and the offense and the defense, everything. So, uh, hey, listen, Eric, before we let you go, I grew up a huge Montreal Canadiens fan. Laz was a New York Islanders fan. I can tell in the way that you speak, you're a hockey guy, you're a hockey fan. Who was your team growing up? Who was who your, uh, your team? Who was your guy growing up? You know, at the start of this interview, Laz and I were getting along, but I'm a, <laughs> I grew up a Ranger fan. Uh, and it's okay. uh, I, 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 I've matured. Don't worry. I'm getting better. <laughs> no, I, I grew up a, a New York Rangers fan, grew up, grew up outside of New York City. Uh, my dad has been splitting uh, partial season tickets since I was in diapers. And I, growing up, I played hockey and I had the opportunity to play at Madison Square Garden as nice. a mite before a Rangers game. Uh, the Rangers played the Blackhawks that night. And I still remember being up in the stands watching the game after playing on the ice the, that afternoon. And it just stuck with me. And uh, I'm a, I'm a Rangers fan at heart now. Hard to top that. I can't, I can't argue with that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> oh man! So is it was like Brian Leach, your guy, who is your guy? Uh, Brian Leach, Mark Messier, Richter. I mean, we could just run down the entire roster. These, of these are all like letter words in my brain still. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say Laz just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. The, Oh boy, Kovalev, Namchinov, Jay Wells. We'll just go down the whole roster if you oh, want. I, I saw uh, Sam Rosen was in Ottawa on the weekend, and I just see and I just I just love the voice, right? Because you just think of Rangers hockey and yeah, all those years. Playing all. Yeah, uh, it has been a uh, you know now working in the business, you know how hard some of those play by play guys and analysts yeah. work behind the scenes. It is a treat to be able to see Sam Rosen calling Ranger games for as long as he's done them, and he still has his fastball. It's a power play goal, never gets old. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It sounds great. Hey, listen, Eric, thanks for dropping by. It's it's, it's always fun to have these conversations about the state of broadcasting and, and you know ways to grow the game and all that stuff. So we appreciate you dropping by the podcast here. Appreciate you guys having me. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right, thanks, you Eric. too. There goes Eric Lowe. He is the. Uh, Make sure I get his title right here as I as I think about it. what did I say? Senior manager programming and acquisitions, NHL on ESPN. Those TV people always have the longest job titles, I swear. Yeah. Uh, but that was great. And you know, you could tell what you, you could just tell right away. I'm like, yeah, this guy's a hockey guy. Like right. you could tell. Yeah. Like, and and that's why I was like, I, I want to pick his brain a little bit on on who he grew up watching. So if I mean, and you he, can always tell that about ESPN. I know ESPN gets a lot of flack. From fans for well, you know that they don't cover, they only cover the NBA and the NFL. But the, everyone I know at ESPN is like a huge hockey. It's like this. There's like this hockey culture inside of ESPN that's yep. been waiting to come out, and it's been fun for to watch them actually get hockey and have all these people have an outlet for it now. So if you were, if I, lads, I told you, you could cobble together your best all-time play-by-play team. So I'm going to give you oh, get wow. to call your play-by-play. And your analyst, if you want for fun, you could throw it a, a, a ringside reporter. But who I'm going to give you, and I'd love to hear from our listeners on this. If you're watching, give us your dream team that you would put together. I mean, I, I, I it's Doc and Eddie. It's just always going to be Doc and Eddie. I, I grew up watching Devils games just because I could in New York, just because I wanted to listen to Doc Emmerich. Like he is, he is the number one guy. He is the Vin Scully of hockey. He's the you know, who, uh, John Madden of whatever you want to call him, he's the voice of hockey to me. Uh, I'm partial. Eddie's a friend of mine. I'm incredibly biased in there. So that's, but I think Doc and Eddie had that chemistry together. Eddie's got the right mix of of knowledge and goofiness that you need in a color commentator. Um, I'm a big Ray Ferraro fan. I think he does a really nice job in between the benches. Um, I, it's, I mean, off the top of my head, I mean, that might be my trio. I know it's modern. I, I grew up with like Jiggs McDonald and Eddie Westfall, and I'm very partial to them, but. Uh, I, I think we had a, we were really spoiled for a long time with Doc and Eddie. Man, I uh, for me, it's Bob Cole. Yeah, Bob Cole sure. in his prime. Yeah, give me late eighties, early nineties. Like that was you know into my like my childhood. He didn't pass his prime. He brought such a like a big game feel to everything. You know. Oh yeah, even calling this the the gold medal for Canada at Salt Lake City. You know, uh, maybe as as Eric just said, maybe he didn't have his fastball. But he was like Greg Maddox at that point. Yeah. He could still he could get by with the eighty-seven mile an hour. And I'm with you. I love Ray Ferraro. I love like Chris Cuthbert is unbelievable. Yep. 
I think Gord, you know who's really good is Gord Miller. Like, oh, absolutely. Gord Miller calls an unbelievable game for somebody like for somebody who covers the NHL like I do. If I watch a Gord Miller broadcast, he always teaches me something, which is, you know, I'm not trying to say I know everything, but I'm like, oh, I'm, I yeah. learned something off of off of Gord Miller. But yeah, I'm a big Ray Ferraro guy. We're in a good era. Of, I mean, play by play guys, you got, you know, down here in the States, you got like Brendan Burke, who I think does the Islanders games now. He does yeah. national games, is phenomenal. John Forslund, who's at the Kraken, uh, he does national games. Like, there's not a, like, there's a lot of like, you, who, who's going to be the next Doc Emmerich? There's a, so many candidates right now for people that could eventually kind of graduate into that number one clear, you know, voice of God of hockey uh, tier. There's so many good names out there right now. Yeah, it's funny because Sean McDonough does games, right, for ESPN. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but I remember team. Sean McDonough from the early '90s CBS uh, Major League Baseball. Like he was the voice of Major League Baseball. Like when the yeah. when when the Toronto Blue Jays won their two World Series, uh, the first one in '92 uh, over Atlanta, and then the second one in '93. It's Sean McDonough on the call with the Joe Carter home run with the uh, Mike Timlin. Uh, fielding the bunt from Otis Nixon. Like, that's Sean McDonough. Now, 30 years later, he's doing the NHL on ESPN. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's just it's just fun to hear the different voices do it, you know? It's just, I just, I, I enjoy watching the Canadian broadcast because I feel like the, the 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 tone is different. It's it's almost like it's taken more seriously. It's taken more objectively. There's not the the homerism that I think permeates a lot of hockey broadcasts these days in the States. There's like a there's like a reverence to it in these in the, in the Canadian broadcast. I really like tuning into the the Sportsnet and TSN broadcasts. Now in the United States, I'm going to give you a vote. Like in terms of the most ver like, there's not very many guys who can call hockey, and then they like I said, McDonough did baseball. Like in terms of versatility, is there anybody better than Kenny Albert? Oh God! And then anybody who I, works harder than Kenny Albert? I don't think so. Kenny Albert. All of those Rangers games on, uh, you know, the radio, but then also does what? He, uh, no, sorry, TNT, right? Mm -hmm. is, is Kenny Albert. Yep. And then, you know, he for years he's done the NFL. He's done, like, he, boy, to me, Kenny Albert for versatility, ah, it's hard to I don't him. think people understand just like some of these broadcasters that do local and national, how hard they have to work, not only just to like, under, to, to, to be speak knowledgeably about, about these teams, the amount of homework that goes into it, especially these multi-sport ones. Um, like in like you know Adam Amin doing uh, NFL on Fox, but also the he's the Chicago Bulls play by play guy, and he fills in in college sports, he does everything. But these hockey ones, like Eddie Olchek and Kenny Albert, they fly like 140 times a year. Yeah, Darren Pang, who's now the Blackhawks color commentator, you know he's he he's I'll see him on TV in Washington one day, and then he's with he's with us in Seattle the next day. Like the amount of miles these guys log, it's really it's a lifestyle to be one of these national slash local it's one thing to be just a national and do like a game or two a week but people like kenny albert who do both and darren pang and eddie olchek it's an extraordinary commitment to the sport and they, they you gotta really love it to do it that much yeah and by the way our producer jeff is telling us in the chat that kenny albert's got a brand new book out he does called a mic for all seasons so give I it a read like, i feel like there should have been a like if, if his name was mike I think that would be. I feel like there's a better <laughs> pun or something that you know. Yeah, I, I feel like we could have done better than Mike. Yeah, I think we could have done a. Better I'm sure the content Mike. is really good. The title. Uh, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I, I can speak it from experience. Sometimes the publisher has a little more say in the title than you think. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, some things going on in the NHL right now. Listen, the Edmonton Oilers. They do it again. They, they beat Nashville on Saturday, right, to run the winning streak to 16 games. Man. So I got a question for you. How much would you want to spend the day with Jay Woodcroft right now? Like, like not in an evil way. but no, in no, no. A it, it, It's really funny you mentioned that. I was just in Edmonton with the Blackhawks just like three days ago, and I asked a couple of the beat writers, I'm like, has anyone talked to Jay Woodcroft about this? And apparently yes. he is completely on radio silence. Like he's a guy who was very accessible and would respond to texts and would take calls and stuff from reporters. He is completely underground right now. Uh, probably out of, you know, partly because he's probably upset about it, but also probably out of respect. And I'm sure he wants to work in the NHL again. So he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers, but he's got to be just, just 
bleeding from the bottom lip from biting it so hard at this point because we all saw this coming, right? Like we knew that the Oilers weren't as bad as they were in those first 12 games. These teams go through cyclical nature. And yes, the defensive structure is better now than it was before, but also they're just getting goaltending. If Stuart Skinner made a few more stops in those first couple of weeks, Jay Woodcroft might still have a job. So it's got to be really difficult as a head coach to see, especially a successful head coach, to see the team do this well uh, after you get fired. Yeah, like I, I, I've always thought that would be such a fascinating story to talk to a coach or like because, you know, you're, you're split, right? Because on one hand, you want to see the individuals that you coached be successful. Sure, right? yeah. That, but the other side of human nature is, I wouldn't mind if you face planted because then you'd see it wasn't me. I'm not the exactly. problem. Exactly. Like, so, like uh, who was it that got fired for Craig Berube in the Blues one? Was it Mike Yo? Uh, is it Mike Yo or Davis Payne? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Mike Yo. I think like, you're right. How's that got to feel when you got them in last place? Someone else comes in and they go and they win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. That's got to that's got to be a blow to the old ego a little bit. Oh yeah, um, uh, Michelle Terrian got fired midseason. Dan Bilesma came in, yeah, and took them to a cup, right? Uh, it, 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 it's funny though you, you, you're talking to, I mean this is Edmonton media so take it with a grain of salt because they're never happy but you know they're like yeah but they're not really dominating they're kind of like squeaking these wins out they're not really you know destroying these teams <laughs> it's like really oh my god games in a row man come on oh man so they have a chance to tie the NHL record of 17 consecutive wins set by the 93 Penguins who got David Volick out they of the sure playoffs. did, baby. Yeah. They damn right they did without even Pierre Turgeon because of Dirty Dale Hunter. Yeah. Uh, Ray Ferraro setting up uh, right. David Volick on that play. That's so right. They've now tied the 20th. It's a bad time for the break for the Oilers, isn't it? Yeah, they, they, they get a break, and now they come out of the break. They get Vegas, so that'll be an interesting game. But they tie the record of uh, – they're one shy of the all-time record, but they've now tied the checks notes. 2016 Columbus Blue Jackets? <laughs> the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2016-2017 reeled off 16 consecutive victories uh, from November... Yeah, I'm just double-checking the dates. November 29th, 2016 to January 3rd, 2017. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being honest. I don't remember a single thing about that winning streak. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, I said to you guys earlier before we joined the show, I'm not sure Aaron Portsline remembers that winning streak. He, of course, covers the Columbus Blue Jackets for us. I am asking, I am begging the listeners who are either you're paying attention to us live, drop into the comments, or send us a note afterwards, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. Give us one like distinct memory or something to jog our brain to recall this winning streak. Look, Les, you. Columbus is, is I mean, geographically not far from Chicago, not in the same conference. Do you have any recollection? I remember it happened. I couldn't tell you any details of it. Yeah. For me, it, like, you know, my, the, my first 24 games on the Blackhawks beat, the Blackhawks didn't lose. They went 21-0-3. I remember everything about that streak because I was covering it. I was involved in it. Uh, the Columbus one, I do not remember. I mean, I, I, I remember it happened, but I couldn't tell you. I couldn't even tell you who was on that team right now. But this is this is the thing about the NHL. The, the, the NHL regular season is kind of like this. Someone was showing me the stats the other day. The Oilers have won 16 games in a row, and they've made up eight points on the Canucks. Eight? Because the Canucks keep winning, too, and it's just so hard to make up ground in the league. Remember, the, what was it, the Buffalo Sabres just a few years ago won 10 games in a row, and they missed the playoffs. Yeah. Like, this, this like, <laughs> the, 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 the difficulty of racking up points in a loser point system is that these things become less memorable because these teams don't run away with everything. They just they just kind of fade into the 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 the, the ups and downs of the regular season. So, I'm looking at the 16-17 Columbus Blue Jackets and like like they're statistically like they didn't have a single player get more than 62 points. Their <laughs> leading scorer Cam Atkinson 62 points. That's it. Was that a Tortorella team? It was a Tortorella Bobrovsky team. Bobrovsky a 931 save percentage. Oh, that'll do it. And I believe he won the Vesna trophy, right? That year. Well, so that's what Tortorella did, right? He just he just coaches you to get to overtime and make sure you get at least get one point out of every game. So you're not you're not you're not going to score a, 120 points playing for John Tortorella. No. So the the Jackets, they win 16 in a row. 
the Penguins, as I mentioned, they got David Volick out of the playoffs by the Penguins. The Jackets, they only won one playoff game. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. The regular season is not a barometer for success in the NHL. And, we see and, time. The Boston Bruins just came off the best regular season ever, and they lost in the first round. Like This is what we see in the so, NHL time and again. So, you know, I know Oilers fans are always waiting for the other shoe to drop on them. I'm sure they're not getting carried away, but don't get carried away. Right. So what's the what's the cutoff now if you're an Edmonton fan? At what point do you want this to stop so that there's like a reasonable reset for the playoffs? Like you don't want to go into the playoffs having won 39 of 41 or something, do you? Like I don't think that's going to end well. Well, you, you always hear about peaking at the wrong time, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, January is not the month to be peaking. No. That's, you know, they needed this, obviously, because they started out the season so horribly. So like this was... This is one of the more significant long winning streaks I think we've seen in modern NHL history because they needed it. This was a team that was almost dead in the water uh, until they had something like this. But yeah, you you want to be peaking in May and in June. You do not want to be peaking in January. And it's just, this is just not sustainable. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how many of the best players in the world you have. You're not going to win at this rate forever. You're going to regress to the mean. So yeah, I think if they come out of the break and they you, you kind of want the record, that'd be cool go win a couple of games and then just have like a normal three to one loss and then just go and win it like a 670 uh, 667 win percentage the rest of the way you'll be fine so they tie the columbus record 16 wins in a row the one that we don't seem to remember but but columbus was in the news this weekend uh for for different reasons and more serious reasons Laz is patrick line their forward uh the team announced he is entering the nhl nhlpa player assistance program line a posting on instagram uh after careful consideration and discussion with my support network and team i have recognized the importance of prioritizing my mental health and well-being hockey has been my passion and my life but i have come to realize that in order to perform at my best i need to take this time to focus on myself so patrick line is going to step away you know it's so strange last just not a week ago I told somebody uh, in the press box in, in Ottawa, a young reporter named Alex Adams, who covers the uh, the Senators for the Hockey News. I said that, and Alex is a big Winnipeg fan. I said, and we're just talking about Line. I said, you know, Patrick Line seems to me like a young man who just he needs to step away from this game. Like something, mm-hmm. something is off. And I'm so happy that it feels like now there's the space for guys to do that. Right. I don't think, Laz, even six years ago, seven years ago, you could do this. But this young man, I think he just needs to step away. He just needs to step away because there's a tremendously talented, charismatic, confident player there that isn't being able to be himself right now. Well, being rich and famous does not prevent you from being human, right? And everyone deals with mental health, you know, struggles from time to time. And, you know, depression, you know, is, does not discriminate if it, whatever, whatever he's dealing with mentally, whether it's just a confidence thing, whether it's a, an exhaustion thing that you see a lot of people go through. I mean, it's, there's a lot on the mind and on the body of a professional athlete. And like you said, I'm glad that we're seeing more players willing to acknowledge that and to prioritize their own mental health over, you know, got to do it for the team, got to do it for the team. Cause it's better for the team in the long run if you're better in the long run. So I, I, you're right. Five, six years ago, you know, we would have heard how soft he was, right? And yeah. How he's he just he's not mentally tough enough for this league and yada, yada, yada. We don't hear that as much anymore. There's still some meatheads out there that'll talk like that. But I think we have a much better understanding of, of you know, the universality of all this, right? And so we're seeing more players step away, take care of themselves, do what they have to do to get themselves as right as they can be. And then come back hopefully feeling better and playing better as a result. So good on Patrick Line for acknowledging that. It's really difficult in any walk of life to acknowledge that, but let alone when you're in the public eye like you're a professional athlete. And you know, what a what a time in Columbus, right? We you get the line A story. And like we said, I think this is the right thing for the young man. Just step away. But you have uh, their their top uh, defensive prospect there, David Yurichek, telling Aaron Port's line, I'm an NHLer. And he's looking at while well, you cover Korchinski, right? And yeah. and 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 he's like, look at look at him. He's getting his playing time. Other people are getting theirs. Uh, Nemich is getting his playing time. I want my playing time. Elvis Merzlikens is like, ah, I gotta get out of here. Uh, you go back to the Mike Babcock situation. Yeah. Boy, like it's, like it's like a monkey's paw went off when they hired him, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And so 
like, I don't know what happens here now in Columbus. Obviously, the season is a write-off. What happens now? I, I don't know what happens here, but I, I think Yarmo Kekalainen at some point has to be held accountable for this team's perpetual failures to some degree, right? Like it seems like like in, there are some markets where the GM is never blamed, and you know he went out and he hired Mike Babcock, and he started this kind of snowball here. So I don't know. I don't know if it comes to that. Uh, I, I think, frankly, what Yurichek is doing is kind of great. I'm glad to see a player advocate for himself like that. And, you know, not have his agent do it, but do it himself. Just talk like a grown-up and say, look, I believe in myself. I believe I should be playing in the NHL. He didn't throw anyone under the bus. He wasn't whining. He wasn't complaining. He's saying, I know I can do this, and I want the opportunity to show that. And I think I, I want to see more players do that. I don't think that's selfish. I don't think that's an ego trip. I think that's someone who believes that he can help this team and believes he belongs out there. Uh, I, I like seeing a player advocate for himself like that. So this isn't all terrible, but it's a lot of drama right now around a team that is also awful. And when you have drama, like when you have drama around a good team, it's kind of fun drama. When you have drama around a bad team, the vibes are real low right now. We got to trademark that the phrase "drawful." When you <laughs> when you're dramatic and awful, drawful. You don't want to know be anything drawful. about that in Chicago At, or, or Ottawa. Uh, That's right. Don't know what you're talking about. No, no clue. This could um, be just the drawful podcast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's funny because the the guy Line A is always you know taken second overall in that in that draft in in 2016. You always get compared to the the, the guy taking first overall, and in his case is Austin Matthews. And Matthews is having another signature season. Forty goals. You get the forty goal plateau over the weekend in 46 games. Is 70 and like is 70 now? Like the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The target is 70, the new 50. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what we're going to be telling ourselves in about 20 <laughs> right. years from now, 20, well, I guess 23 years from now, I'll be like, ah, 70 is the new 50, but, but like, he's got 40 and 46, uh, 50 and 50 doesn't like, I mean, boy, he'd have to score 10 goals in his next four games. It's doable, but not, not, not likely, but is 70 goals, a realistic benchmark now for, for Matthews. I feel like it has to be right. That's gotta be the target because if he gets 60 right now, it's like, well, yeah, of course he got 60. Like he was always going to get 60. Yeah. 70 is like, he's got to keep this up for a full year. He will get 70. He's on pace for it. So if he can pull that off, I never, ever thought we'd see a 70 goal scorer again in the modern day NHL goalies are too big and too good. Uh, defenses are too good. Coaches are too smart, but Matthews, you know, he can, he just has this uncanny ability. It's not just his shot. It's the savvy that he has around how to use that shot. That's what we're, we're starting to see with Connor Bedard. Like he could be that kind of a player where he can create a shot from anywhere, but not just a shot, but like a great shot. Uh, but Matthews is that guy right now. And, uh, I'd love to see him get to 70. Because it's just like it's just incredible. We have 150 points from McDavid last year, 70 goals possibly from from Austin Matthews. Like I just never thought we'd see these numbers again in the NHL. Jamie Ben won the scoring title with 87 points nine years ago. Yeah. 87 points. I think Kucherov's at like 86 right now. Yeah, and it's not even the All Star break. Like it's just it's incredible what these guys are doing, and I love it. And they're doing it against you know very big gigantic padded goaltenders it's kind of a they're not doing it like it's not like, like i love mike bossy don't get me wrong but he was shooting against a different kind of goalie than these guys are right now so what austin matthews is doing is absolutely it's just extraordinary so here's what i want okay i want matthews to get the 70 goals because i think that's cool like with you i didn't think we'd ever see that again i want him to get the 70 goals last but i don't want him to get to 100 points because i think that would be awesome you get a young that way 70 goals and like 27 assists. And like, it's not out of the realm of possibility. He's got 40 goals and 18 assists right now. Who, who was, like, it? was it? Was it was it Brandon Peary on the Panthers a bunch of years back at like 24 goals and two assists? Yeah, he was the Cy Young, right? Yeah. Everyone was like, yeah, it's Cy Young, 24 and two. Uh, don't you think that would be pretty cool if he got to 70 but didn't get to 100 points? It'd be pretty funny because then someone in Toronto would be like, he's a selfish player. He's not yeah. a good team player. He's a locker room cancer. Get rid of him. Send this American back to America. <laughs> Send this American back to America. Like I, I, it, 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 he should, he shouldn't be passing. He should be shooting every single time the puck is on his stick because he can score from literally anywhere. He should be shooting. the 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 unselfish thing for Austin Matthews to do is to just keep shooting. He's that good. 
yeah, he like like to me, he's the guy that like I wonder if if you know if he does get to 70 or whatever, if at the end of the year he's gonna be closing in on 400 goals. I wonder if when we start to have the kind of Ovechkin uh, kind of talk yeah. about mm, he might take a run at the all-time goals record, right? Like, yeah, I, I think we're 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 gonna be there if he gets the 70 goals, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, he's still so young right now that it's so far off, but he's certainly starting his career at a pace that's going to put him there. That's going to put him there at a pretty young age, too. Like, yeah. I mean, we're talking mid-30s. He could be starting to threaten this if he keeps this up. Now, that's a big if. Can, can anyone score at this rate? Is he always going to be on a team that's with so many great passers, so much talent around him? Uh, is the NHL going to kind of regress back defensively the way it did in the 90s and 2000s? Uh, will injuries play a factor? There's a million things that could that prevent him from doing it. But it won't be skill. He's got the skill and the ability, the talent, the desire, the motivation, all that stuff to become maybe the greatest goal scorer we've ever seen. And just a little fun fact for you and the uh, the listeners. I mentioned Matthews. It'd be awesome if he got the 70 goals and not to 100 points. Three players, lads, in NHL history have scored 60, 6-0 goals in the season but didn't get to 100 points. Okay. Any guesses? 60 goals. And, and not 100 points. Not 100 points. So obviously fewer fewer than 40 assists. Pavel Bore? No, but that's a fantastic guess because he, mm. he had back-to-back kind of, he was uh, in that 60-goal range. God, I don't know. A bossy? Nope. All right. I, nobody wants to listen to me guess. Okay. No, no. I, I, I'll give you one hit. There's one active player. One active player? Uh-huh. Active player with 60 goals. 60 goals and not 100 points. It must be Ovechkin then, right? And it's not Ovechkin. Oh, for God's sakes. And it's not Matthews. Stamkos? Yeah, Steven Stamkos. Oh, there we go. Oh, producer Jeff just got that in the comments too. <laughs> 60 goals, 37 assists for Stamkos. Selfish uh, player. Terrible selfish. teammate. Can't win with him. Um, <laughs> the other two guys, Reggie Leach with the Broad Street Bullies and the Flyers. Yeah, 61 was, goals, 91 points. I was not going to guess that. And a mustachioed Lanny McDonald. Wow. 66 goals. 32 assists, 98 points. So even if Matthews, about 60 goals like candy back in the day, man. Yeah. Uh, so even if Matthews gets to 60 and not 100 points, he'll join McDonald, Leach, and Stan. What's really incredible is Matthews is doing this, and he's kind of only on the periphery of the MVP conversation this year, right? Because of what Nathan totally, McKinnon totally. is doing, because of what Connor Hellebuck is doing. Like, we're not really talking about Matthews in the heart race, and he might score 70 goals. What a year this is proving to be, man! You know, somebody in Toronto should write Austin Matthews. Is he un- is he underrated? Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh god, the the backlash. I I I, I want to make sure comments are open on that story. Yeah, that's, that's right. We'll make sure the <laughs> enable the comments. Hey, uh, before we go, I want you to know, Laz. There's only one count them one game in the NHL on Monday, <sighs> and yours truly will be there. You lucky man, you. It's Ottawa. It's Nashville. And I can't even, I was trying to think of a great tagline. I'm like, I. <laughs> whole rest, whole rest of the league game. is in Mexico right now, and you're going to be at Nashville, Ottawa. You lucky man. Oh, bastard. my God. Ottawa, Nashville. Uh, coming your way this week. Now, I know just before we let you go, you are all star bound this week. Am I not? Am I right? I about am. That? Yeah, heading up there okay. Thursday morning. So, so if you don't mind me, uh, just give us a little tease here for the, uh, the audio. Like, what, what, what kind of. Well, giving everything away, but like, what are you hoping to accomplish when you go down for um, uh, All Star Week? Well, I, I I love going to All Star Week. I go almost every year because the the media day there, you get these guys in a relaxed setting. Now, nothing's relaxed in Toronto, so this might be a nightmare. Yeah, but like in South Florida or Vegas, it's very relaxed. You get these, you know, all the best players in the world, and you can ask them anything. All the stupid stories that I love writing about, you know, <laughs> like I, this this is my time to shine, baby. I got some dumb questions for you guys. Why I'm do you coming. Use- why Look do you out. use the tape you use? Like this is the time to do it. I love it. This is exactly what. So that's what I love going. I'm really hoping. I was in. I was in Columbus in 2015. The last time they did the player draft, when everybody got really, really, really they drunk. Drunk, right? They got so drunk, and that's what I want to see. Like I, I'm excited about the revamp skills competition. I think it'll be a lot more interesting. These guys will actually care about it this year because a million dollars is still a million dollars. But what I really want to see is if the NHL lets these guys get drunk again. Because if they don't. It's going to be the most boring thing any of us have ever seen. 
No, they won't. They won't let them. You well, know it. Be awful. The only reason to do this is because it was really funny in 2015. What's the like? Does the NHL have a partner beverage like like White Claw or something? Like it's gonna <laughs> they were be just a... drinking out of red Solo cups that entire time in 2015. Yeah, but they're like, gonna. It wasn't, they didn't even make any money off of it. Yeah, they should be having like you know Bud Light or Molson or whatever What's in the every official... single player's hands. They probably have some official seltzer of the NHL. But this is, right? this is you know not not to get like look at my old guy yelling at clouds here, but hockey players don't really drink anymore, man. They sit there and they drink their bio steel and they go to bed at eight 30 PM to make sure they get a full 10 hours. Yeah. Like this is like 10 years ago, guys were, you'd, you'd be out and about on the road and you'd see the players at the bars all the time. Now it's not, they don't do that. They go and they have their like, you know, grilled chicken and uh, brown rice with sweet potatoes. And then they just go to sleep with a warm cup of milk. Like I'm not even sure that half these guys drink. That'll be in the all-star game. Oh man. And that, and that's their cheat meal. That's the worst part. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, listen, safe travels to Toronto. We look forward to uh, to catching all your coverage there. Thanks for pinching, uh, pinch hitting. Laz Mazzilli. There you go. Pinch hitting. There you go. There I'll go. take it. Okay. Wait, we'll, we'll take you for the, uh, the hour. That was awesome. Listen, thanks for doing this. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, our guy, Jesse Granger, will drop by alongside Down Goes Brown, Sean McAdoo, on the Tuesday the athletic hockey show we'll get you then uh thanks for listening to the monday show leave us a rating and review you know we would appreciate that you can follow us on youtube at youtube.com slash at the athletic uh hockey show and right now get a one-year subscription to the athletic for two dollars a month when you visit athletic.com slash hockey show